Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. start somewhere around verse number nine so for the next four weeks we're going to consider our power to be witnesses here this morning and the next four weeks we're going to talk about vision in particular today Uh, two men who had separate visions but they concerned one another the bible says in acts chapter number 10 and verse number nine says and on the morrow as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, the Bible says. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things fowl of the air and there came a voice to him rise Peter kill and eat but Peter said not so Lord for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean the voice spake unto him again the second time what God hath cleansed that call not thou common so this morning we're going to consider vision when our power to witness two people having visions, one by the name of Cornelius, another one here by the name of Peter. And it caused a divine intersection for them in their lives. As I've, I've touched on this subject matter before, one had a vision that was without God of the man coming to him to tell him about God. Another had a vision about a man that needed God and he was going to him to tell him about God. Isn't it amazing that one was considering the other? One had a vision about someone coming to him. Another one had a vision about somebody needing him to come. Amen. It's important today, vision concerning our power uh, to witness. Let's pray this morning. Father, I come to you today. I pray, oh, Lord, that you're able to help us, Lord Jesus, in this place this morning. God, anoint our minds, God. Give us, Lord, purpose, Lord, and direction. God, for the next little while, Lord Jesus, in this service today. God, we're thankful, Lord, for the divine power, Lord, of the Holy Ghost, Lord, and how it's exercised in our life, God, and the feeling, Lord, and the thrill, Lord, that comes, Lord, with that. But God, help us, Lord, not to separate that Lord Jesus God from the commission Lord of going I pray oh Lord today God touch each and every soul in this place and will not Lord God forget to magnify you and praise you Lord for you doing Lord Jesus your work your way in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen everybody say amen you may be seated this morning in Jesus name if you allow me just a little bit of the Bible story here of Acts chapter number 10 Cornelius was A centurion, the Bible says, in the city of Caesarea, he was described in Acts chapter number 10 as a devout man. He was, of course, a God-fearing man. He was generous. He was prayerful. He's just, just a good guy, just a good man, but a good man that still needed a good God. That his goodness, him being devout, him even giving prayer and alms was not enough for Cornelius he needed the same experience that all those had on the day of Pentecost he needed to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost Uh, Cornelius is a very good example in Acts 10 of how goodness of a man isn't the criteria necessarily for salvation or the or or what meets the criteria you should say for salvation goodness of itself and alone uh, does not get that done I've oftentimes heard and I've stood in funeral parlors and people say, well, there just can't be any other way except we know what happened to them because they were a good person. Goodness doesn't get you in heaven. Goodness doesn't get you walking on streets of gold and through gates of pearl. Amen. Goodness is a great character to have, but you got to have the spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Amen. In order to quicken your mortal body uh, someday. So goodness alone doesn't, doesn't cut it. But nevertheless, Cornelius 
there's a, there's a pair of visions that happens in Acts chapter number 10. And they change the lives and the paths of two individuals. Not only is Cornelius changed by what precipitates from the vision that he has, but Peter also, his life is forever changed because of the vision that he had. Eternity, for one, is totally altered. And no doubt, perhaps a perspective about what Christian life and living is all about maybe takes another turn in Peter's own life. The Bible tells us concerning Cornelius that it was the ninth hour of the day. It was a time when evening prayers and evening sacrifices were normally given. That angel of the Lord came to Cornelius, called him even by name. Just a footnote. God knows you even when you've not yet indicated that you know him. Amen. It doesn't matter who you are this morning, what type of uh, a bang up past that you may have had. I guarantee you today, God knows you, not just that, he knows you by name. He knows you by name. So he called him by name. Cornelius is fearful at first. Uh, he asked what is it, Lord? He has been a man of prayer, so he's, he, 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 he knows the ebb and the flow and the mechanics of prayer. He says, what is it? What is it, Lord? And the angel's reply to Cornelius was this. He says, thy prayers and, and thy alms have come up as a memorial before God. In other words, these things have got the attention of God. Amen. He's remembering these things in this moment. The angel went on to instruct Cornelius and told him that he was to go and send men to Joppa and to find a man by the name of Simon Peter there and that the promise was this, that Peter will tell you what you ought to do. Peter will tell you what you ought to do. Now, Peter is the great preacher on the day of Pentecost. Peter is the impulsive person that oftentimes thinks uh, or speaks rather before he thinks and inserts feet, not foot, into mouth. That's Peter. He is the one that told all those on that day what they needed to do in order to be saved. He is a part of the New Testament church. He is a part of the book of Acts church, the apostles. And the Bible says, God says, I'm going to send you to Peter because he will tell you what you ought to do. Number one, isn't it great that God could have confidence in Peter knowing that Peter would tell this man exactly what needed to be done? And wouldn't it be great, I hope it would be so, that God would have such confidence in us, he would say, you know what, you need to go to the first apostolic church because they'll tell you what you need to do. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Sister Jessup. That's right. That God would have enough confidence in the man Peter that he could entrust somebody that was bewildered in where to go, what to do, what his next step was concerning his life toward God. I want the Lord to be able to entrust me, our church, us individually, to the point that he would have enough confidence in us that we could point someone. You say, well, Brother McGee, that's, that's just child's play. We know what to do. Yeah, but knowing what to do and being able to tell somebody else what to do are two different things. Or knowing what to do and taking the initiative to share with somebody else what to do. <laughs> you, ever, you ever watch somebody, and I know we have to do it with our kids in order for them to learn anything. You know, you jump in whenever they're small, but as they get older, you kind of, you've got to purposely step back and let them just figure it out. And that sometimes I've even, you know, been in parking lots, people doing stuff, and I'm thinking, man, this is what they need to do. You know, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're having problems getting a cart in one of the carriers. I can see the problem from a distance, but they're, you know, messing around, all this stuff. But there's a big difference in me having that knowledge set in my car and hanging my head out the window and saying, hey, you know, it's caught on the what, what, what. You understand what I'm saying? There's a disconnect sometimes in the church that just knowing what to do is enough in order for people just, they should just pick up on it. They should just pick up on it. He says, though, I'm going to, I got I to gotta move today. I'm, I'm dragging feet early on in the game. He says, going to tell you what to do. And so he had obedience then. Here's Cornelius. He has obedience to what God has spoke to him, has told him. That's good for somebody that's looking for God. Obedience is a key player in this whole salvation experience. He's very, very, uh, he's not hesitant. He takes action. He gets a few men together. He has a soldier. He throws them uh, out toward Joppa in that direction to go find this one Simon the Tanner, the, the, or Simon, rather, Peter. The Bible says... 
that the next day, Peter is there in the house of Simon the Tanner. He has a vision. He's praying about the, the Bible says, the sixth hour of the day. He is praying unto the Lord, and as he's praying to the Lord, uh, the, the Holy Ghost comes upon him and gives him a vision as well. And what he gives him a vision of, he gives him a vision of this Gentile man and why this is important in, in a certain degree he does. He gives him a vision of this Gentile man by allowing a blanket to come down three different times. Upon this blanket are all different means of, of beasts and four-footed beasts and animals and creeping things. And the voice of the Lord rises and tells Peter, Peter, arise and eat. And Peter is quick to respond as he sees him in this vision. He said, Lord, he said, not so, Lord. I, I've never eaten anything that's common. I've never eaten anything that's unclean. And again, the Lord speaks to him and said, whatever I've called cleanse, call thou not common or unclean. And this happened three times. And Peter is sitting there and he's trying to figure out what's going on. And as he's up there, there's three men that appear at his door. Now that vision happened three times. There's three men that appear at his door. Three Gentile men. Gentiles and Jews was like oil and water trying to mix. Gentile and Jews, they didn't care much for each other. Uh, as a matter of fact, many times a Jew would not even enter the house of a Gentile because he felt like he would be defiled with the uncleanness of the Gentile. But Peter has just had this, this vision from the Lord of common things, four-footed things. He said, I've not had common or unclean things. The Lord says, arise and eat. He's setting Peter up to accept the three men that are standing at his door. And the Bible is clear that the Spirit of the Lord speaks to Peter and says, go with them, doubting nothing, because I have sent them. And so the rest of the story of Acts chapter number 2 is how Peter and a few unnamed men from Joppa made their journey back to Cornelius' house. And while they've been gone, Cornelius has gathered together his family. He's gathered together some extended family, some friends. And Peter said to those that are gathered there, he says, I know, this is what he says, you know, all body, everybody does, that it's unlawful that a Jew would come with the Gentile and have fellowship with the Gentile and keep company with them. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And he shared the message of the Lord Jesus Christ with them. And the Bible later says in Acts 10, as he spoke those words that the Holy Ghost fell on them, which heard the word of the Lord. So Cornelius, in obedience to a vision, wanted Peter to come to his house. And Peter, in obedience to the vision, went to his house, but not alone. He went to his house with the gospel. Now, if there was anybody that had some excuses that they could give why they should not go to Cornelius' house or among the Gentiles, Peter could have started listing them. He could have started talking about how there is no dealings of the Jews with the Gentiles. He could have started talking about how the moment he would enter into such a house that he would be defiled. He could have said all of those things, but God took all, if you will, the excuses away in order for this man to be able to reach a man that was in need of God. The whole aspect of this month is this. How do we share our faith? How do we share our faith? Here's even a better question to ask. Am I sharing my faith? We come in here and this can almost become like, uh, you've heard before, the eagles in, in, the, in the, another club. We rub shoulders, we see one another, we talk to one another. Well, I'll talk to you about God because you know about God, right? I'll shake your hand, be kind to you, and strike up conversation with you because we're all on the same page. The fact of the matter, there's a Cornelius somewhere. There's a Cornelius somewhere that is wanting to know what to do with that longing hunger that he has in his heart. He's a Cornelius that's not in the church, but he has a prayer life. He's searching. He's hungering. He's longing for something. And I've come to find in my own personal life, the reason why sometimes we don't share our faith or we make excuses is because we're fearful of rejection we're fearful of what the outcome is going to be if I put myself out there and I get rejected man I'm going to just be humiliated that's going to be horrible 
Amen. But there's something that we need to understand this morning. We need to get the vision that God has for a lost and a dying world. We need to have a vision that God has for a lost and dying world. As a matter of fact, that is a good prayer to pray, Lord, let me have your vision. And the word vision just simply defined according to the dictionary is this. It is the act or power of anticipating that which will or may come to be. Proverbs 29 and 18, we'll go to it later, but the Bible has in that, in that verse, without a vision, the people perish. That word vision refers to, to, to sight or mental, mental notation, a dream. But in other places of Scripture, it's something that is going to take place, something that's going to happen, something that's going to come to pass. And so we got to have then faith in order to secure the vision. And when we get God's, God's given vision, we understand this. He came. He left, God left his home in glory. Everything that everybody's vying for now, oh, heaven, oh, someday heaven, won't it be glorious in heaven? God left all of that because he needed and felt necessary to seek and save that which was lost on the earth. The thing that we're longing for, he left for a reason and a purpose. It was for the lost and the unsaved. And so when we understand God was willing to leave what we're longing for for the purpose of, of grabbing a hold of, saving humanity, and our feet are still on the earth, then how much should we have a longing then for the loss, a longing for the dying? Because here's the vision that God has. He knows without doubt, without me, everybody hear me today, without me, humanity will make their bed in hell. Without me, humanity will make their bed in hell. He knows this, and we know this. Their only hope is in me. Their only chance is with me. There's not a plan B. There's not a plan C. I am their only hope. I can't give them platitudes. I can't make them feel good about where they are per se. But I got to be a hand of hope. Folks, what are you saying this morning? I'm saying this. I love all of you. And I'm glad you're in the house of the Lord today. But the fact of the matter, the vision that God has is this. If they don't know me, if they're not in relationship with me, they will make their bed in hell. And so I'm asking God, help me to hear the cry of the lost. Help me to hear the cry cry of those who know you because their destiny is already sure if they have not God. Yes. And so I need a God vision today. A God vision of a Cornelius that doesn't know God. A God vision of a man that's hungry but he needs somebody to show up in his life to tell him where to if you will, for analogy purposes, where to find food. Someone say amen. He came to seek and save that which was lost. That was the purpose for the Son of Man coming down. That was the purpose. That was the purpose. It wasn't just to make some great feat that God would just be manifested in the flesh. No, he became a part of the human family for the purpose of saving the human family. Do you remember the old requirements in the Old Testament of a kinsman redeemer? You see it in the story of Ruth with Boaz. Remember, she needed to be, there needed to be a redeeming of the land, a redeeming, if you will, of Ruth, who was the daughter-in-law of Naomi. They had other family members, but they weren't going to be the redeemer. But there's three qualifications for a redeemer. Number one, he has to be part of the family. Number two, he had to be able to pay the price for the redemption. Number three, he had to be willing because there's a difference in having the ability and also then being willing to. He had to be willing to pay the price. Amen. They found that. They found that in Boaz. He was part of the family. He was able to do it, and he was willing to do it. But whenever you transfer that over to the New Testament, we see that in Christ Jesus. He became a man so he would become a part of the family of humanity, and he was able to pay the price. He purchased the church, the Bible said, with his own blood. Having a body gave him the ability to pay, but honey, when he went to the cross, that was his willingness to pay for you and I. That was his purpose of coming 
broken down. That was the purpose for the body. And we shortchange the purpose of the God-given vision if we neglect in reaching out to the Corneliuses of the modern day. It wasn't just for 120 to receive the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost and then build some little hut over here and show up every Wednesday, Sunday morning, Sunday night and talk about their great experience on the day of Pentecost. We read through the pages of the Acts, Acts scriptures, the Acts of the Apostles that never has a, a man at the end of it because it's not finished. And what you see is that they are in the marketplaces. They are in homes. They're out in desert places. They are praying by shores. And what's going on? They are constantly trying to speak and minister about this man, Jesus. Why? Because his purpose had become their purpose. And they are reaching, they are reaching, they are reaching. Why do we need such a vision? We need such a vision because the vision becomes the motivation. The vision becomes the motivation. And here's the thing with God. It wasn't just of loss, but realizing that all, everybody say all, all humanity, all humanity. Look at your neighbor and say all to him. All humanity needs salvation. All, all. It might be a whole lot easier to talk about this today than it was years ago, but there are certain segments of our society that have still not matured in some things. Years ago, you know, Christianity was just a white man's, just a white man's salvation. But it's a white man's salvation. It's the black man's salvation. It's the Asian man's salvation. It's the salvation for the Jew. It's the salvation. I know, I know, no, years ago, you know, it might be. But you know what? There are certain segments of society that's still a hard message, amen, for people to grapple with that it's for all humanity. All humanity be saved. Their Jesus is not different from my Jesus. We have the same Jesus. Their God is not different from my God. It's the same God. And whenever he came for the lost, he came for the lost beggar and the pauper just as much as the lost king and the lost... Hallelujah. All colors that were mixed into that. For lost humanity. Proverbs tells us, as I said in 29, 18, without a vision, the people, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Again, the word perish here in this verse means to loosen or to go back. In other words, where there is no vision, the people loosen. The people go back. And when we talk about a vision in the context of a God-given vision of the lost and unsaved, where there is no vision, the people loosen. The people go back. What happens? They lose their motivation. They lose their motivation. They, they just relax in their laurels, so to speak. We've arrived because... I'm saved, and my wife's saved, and, you know, a good portion of her family saved. Boom, there it is. We can't get comfortable just with the status quo of our family members being saved. We can't get comfortable with just Joe Blow and the second cousin being saved. No, 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 no. There should be something that troubles us. That whenever we look out through our streets and there's people that we rub shoulders with, whenever we know that they don't have God, there's something that should ache inside of us because we have that purpose. We've adopted the purpose of the Lord for our own. The God-given vision for the harvest. Here it is. Motivation. Keep our minds, hearts, actions focused on reaching the lost of our world. Someone say amen. It might not come like Peter's did. You might not have a vision in the middle of the night and a blanket floating down. But it may be whenever you're around your unsaved family that you're that little... Mm. 
it may be that whenever you're going through the checkout and that same person that seems like helps you every time whenever you go through, it's always their aisle that you're in. and You kind of go to their aisle because they're just quicker than some of the others that your heart, they're just so kind. You know, they're such a kind person. They have a smile on their face and you're wondering, I wonder what God could do with them if they had the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Amen. It, it, could, it could as easily be a missionary dropping by and giving some type of presentation and being burdened for people on another soil whenever you see them and, and the revival that's taking place in their hearts and the hunger and the longings of their hearts. And let me tell you something. I, I believe we're a church. We back foreign world missions around this church do a great job doing it. Amen. And that is tremendous. And, and we should do that. And we ought to do that. And, and uh, it's important, you know, getting people over there in remote areas that may never, ever hear the gospel of weren't for those people getting over in those areas. But let me tell you something today. If we don't watch ourselves, we'll allow our own mission field to become a world foreign mission field. And while we're reaching third world countries, we'll exempt ourselves from reaching our country. And, and, and I'm not talking about sending a missionary to America evangelist. That's good and great too. But I'm talking about our responsibility. It's good to somehow shift the load. Say, well, I'm giving money to missions. People's getting the Holy Ghost over there. I give X amount of dollars and I'm faithful to pray for them to go do their work. But the fact of the matter is this. You're a missionary right here. You got a mission field on your left side of your house, on the right side of your house, in front of your house, behind your house. You got, someone say yes. You got a mission field, ladies and gentlemen. And the fact of the matter is this. Sometimes it takes work. Yes, sir. It takes work. I've lived in my present home for almost 10 years now. Trevor's going to be turning 10. Uh, we, we were pregnant with him prior. Actually, whenever we moved in the first night is when we found out we was pregnant with Trevor. And so we've been in that house now for almost 10 years. Just two weeks ago on a Monday night. I had my neighbor across the street sitting at my table with a home Bible study. That didn't happen because of a day. That was a 10-year process. <laughs> uh, that person sat there at our table and had tears streaming down his face. <laughs> That's a 10 year process that's sitting outside of the curb whenever I take my garbage down they take their garbage down too and striking up conversation that's being interested in the different dogs that they've had over the years that's commenting on the, the new remodeling and upkeeps that's happened on the house noticing it and just commenting on it or, or a different car that they're driving and talking or just talking about life that was a 10 year process listen we, 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 if the enemy of our soul can be cunning and crafty to deceive and snatch people out folks we need to have a certain level the bible says to be as sly as serpents that's crafty but as harmless as doves we need to be crafty in our adventures of seeking and saving that which was lost. He sat there that night, I bet for an hour, hour and a half, we talked about life. He told stuff to us. He said he's not told anybody in his life. Tears went down his face. And I, I, I wish I could stand and tell you that he received the gift of the Holy Ghost in our kitchen, but it didn't happen. But I'm not done. We're not done. We're, oh, no, 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 no. Why? Because whenever I sit in my house and I peer across over to that house, what I see is a man that needs God what I see is somebody just like me that's without hope when they're without God but if we can get God in their life they've got hope ten year venture ten year venture that same week I think it was no that might have been this week when did I see you this week? Monday this week? Was it Monday, Zach McGee? He thinks so. So I'll, I'll denote it by him. Yeah, I've seen him. He really needs God too. No, but I went into a store just grabbing a few things for dinner. Grabbing just a few things for dinner. Going through the 20, 20 items or less, you know. Quick checkout. So that's the way I operate. In, out. You can have all the displays you want to in the front of the store. That does not impress me. I know what I need, and that's all I need. So I was going in, get one each quick checkout. As I'm there at the quick checkout, I look down the aisle. Here comes a lady. I've known her for 20 years. 
Worked with her at Emge's. She lives in this. She lives in this city. I don't know how many times I've invited her to church, but I have. Here she comes, right behind me. I'd seen her not just a few weeks ago somewhere else. I was. I, I, I hollered. I said, "What is the deal with us?" She says, I don't know. I said, well, just sometimes, you know, you got to go to the store and get some stuff. And we're just making conversation. She says, well, hamburger helper is helping me tonight with dinner. I said, well, sometimes you just kind of, you know, got to grab off the bottom shelf. And that's what you just got to do. And we were talking. I said, well, how's everything going? Has it been a good year for you thus far? Head ducked. No, it's not really been the best of years. She says, I guess I could really use some help. She says, some help from God. I haven't talked anything about God. But we've had conversations about God. She says, really, some help from God. I said, well, I said, you know me. I said, uh, I normally invite you to church. I don't go say anything this time. I thought just seeing me would be enough. She says, no, I really need to come to church. And she asked me again. She says, where is the church? I explained to her where the church is. I said, you would be welcome. She asked me, she says, Does, do I have to wear a skirt in order to come to church? I said, no, you do not have to wear a skirt in order to come to the church, to walk through the doors of the church. You do not have to come. She said, well, I used to have a grandmother. She's old Nazarene. She said, you wasn't going to go in in any house of God unless you had a skirt on. I said, you just come, just come. That again, just having that conversation. That's a 20 year. You hearing me? This has been going on for 20 years. Because on whenever I was in Emgie's on the Arby line, she had broke down and cried. You've heard me tell this. She broke down and cried on that line that night while we're working. And I'm talking to her about God. 20 years. 20 years. But still yet, every time that we make contact, which it seems like it happens frequently here in the city, I might say something. Or ask, I asked her about her grandbaby. She has a grandbaby. I didn't, you know, beam with, you talk to anybody that has a grandbaby. It's like, woo, you know, fireworks and everything. You want to get in good with somebody, start talking about their grandbabies. What are you saying? I'm saying, what are you doing? You know, I had a mission. I really did because my mission is in and out. But whenever... This soul, wait a minute. It's almost like Jesus walking and he hears someone holler out and the Bible says when he heard Bartimaeus, he stood still. Why? Because there's a need right here. <laughs> there's a need right here. I don't know if either of them will ever sit on these church pews. I don't know if they'll ever get the Holy Ghost here. But I'm going to go to my grave knowing something. That's one thing. I just, just put a little seed right there. And I've watered it whenever appropriate. Put a little seed in water. And I'm just saying, God, give the increase. God, give the increase. God, give the increase. But listen, folks, you cannot get an increase from something you do not plant. You cannot get it. You can't go outside and stare at the soil and say, my goodness, I wish that would come up when you never put anything in the soil. Expecting corn and you never put corn in the soil. Come on, this, this just isn't right. We can complain about it not being right. Complain about it not happening. But unless we've invested anything, what else do we expect? The Bible says you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. Why do they go out here and sow everything they sow in these fields? A lot of times they don't get 100% yield. They get lesser than 100%. But if you sowed a less amount, then you, you know, taking home a little bit of corn in your pocket rather than in the semi-loads. Someone say amen. Not to be stirred the people that's around us. And here's the thing. Whenever Calvary took place in the redemption of Calvary, blood was shed on the cross. Of course, not just for me, although I love to sometimes visualize it as that, but it was for me and others as well. Here's the thing. You know, the old Sunday school song, red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the children of the world. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter who they are or what their present walk in life is. What their present walk in life is. <laughs> Brother McGee, if I, if I talk to so-and-so, someone might think something by just me talking to them. 
Listen, I've, I have spoken to people of alternate lifestyles and held friendships with them. Here's the fact of the matter. We are all, everybody say all, are chosen to go. That's not a prescription for the pastors. No, 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 that's not a prescription for the evangelists. That wasn't a prescription just for the priests and the prophets. That was for all were chosen to go. Look at this verse of scripture. John 15, 16. Jesus says that ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Notice the wording here. This is some strong phrases here. I've chosen you. I've ordained. I've ordained you. That ye should go. There's the purpose of the ordination. That ye should go and bring forth fruit. And that your fruit should remain. Whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Let me tell you this morning, God's chosen you. God's ordained you to bring forth fruit that your fruit may remain. I just read here, and I I think it was a periodical that I was reading, and it was so true, it was talking about a man. He had already passed, and they were talking about his impact that he had on his world and the impact on the things that he had around him. And this was the words, and we know the Scripture. The Bible says, by their fruit ye shall know them. But he kind of just took a little spin here. He said, my fruit shows up on the lives of other people. How does that happen? Because he went... And then he discipled. There is a big, big, big uh, 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 fight back and forth. Even churches at large, even apostolic churches today, people are putting a lot of, a lot of things. You need to disciple people. You need to disciple people. And we do. Once they get in the church, we need to tell them concerning the things of the doctrines and the dogmas and the things of the Holy Written Scripture. You need to disciple, disciple. And then there's another club over here that says you need to evangelize. You need to evangelize. And you do. You need to go reach the world. You need to share your story. You need to uh, reach out to those that are lost and without God you do but we've approached it as though you it's either or it's either or but the fact of the matter is it's and it's both and we need to evangelize and we also need to disciple here's the fact of the matter you can't disciple what you haven't evangelized and we are creating in the church knowledgeable Christians that's been discipled from Genesis to Revelation, but they are not evangelists. They are not evangelizing the world. And in doing so, then we've really not been so good in our discipleship, have we? Because a part of it, and it's a part, if you will, of even the mission of this church, of loving as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls, and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest, it's a cycle. We're all about winning, yes, but we're about equipping too. But once you equip, you go, you go back and you win. It should be a cycle. But somewhere along the line, the cycle gets broken. And we get people in the church and we disciple them. And we disciple them, the same people. And we disciple them, same people. And we disciple them and same people. And every once in a while, by happenstance, one comes in here, one comes in there. And we're like, oh, so glad to have you. Brother Mason, we had a really good time the other day, didn't we? What are you saying? I'm like, come in. Oh, we're so glad to have you at church today. Oh, brother, when you're over here, he oh, brother. I've he hauled with him for 20 years. You hear me? You think it's really going to hurt his feelings for me not to talk to him that morning and just spend time here? You're all chosen to go. I'm not sending, I'm not, I'm not dispatching you over to the foreign mission field this morning. <laughs> Someone leaving church says, Pastor, he's getting me a plane ticket to go. 
Praise God. He's getting me a plane ticket to go on foreign soil and do this or do that. No, 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 no. But we're all commissioned to go and bring forth fruit. Bring forth fruit. What does that mean? Folks, it's as simple as sometimes sitting at a different table in a restaurant. Amen. Sometimes just reaching for a lost co-worker. Sometimes it might be, if you will, just giving a little extra tip, trying to get, if you will, the attention of those that you eat with. Amen. It's just building a relationship, as I've already said, with your neighbor. And it might be days. It might be weeks. It might be even months or years. What are you doing? You're going. You're going. Honey, you plant it. You plant it. You water it. You have no, you have no... Control. Except being faithful to the planting and faithful to the maintenance and faithful to the watering. But that doesn't mean we just step back and just wait for some miracle to come out of the soil. Come on, get honest with yourself some more. Some of you ask yourself. How did you end up here? How did you end up here? Huh? How did you end up here? Different people's going to start thinking now. How did I end up right here where I'm at? How did I end up here? Was there ever invitation? Did someone ever say anything? Or did you just show up church someday? If we really just go back in there, you probably maybe ended up here in some means or some way. Sure, there's some that just feel compelled. That God's working on their heart. You know, the... I just felt like the Lord wanted me to go there. That might have been some story. That might have been some story. But I, I, I kind of wish that, that God would have sent them to a person that he had confidence in that would have been able to tell them what they needed to do. I wonder how much God's having to do our work. Felt led to, I just felt like I needed to come here. And I've heard that, and that's fine. But I'd love to hear the stories. Well, you know, you know, Joe Sutton invited me, or, 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 or Charlene Jordan said it'd be fine to come. Or, you know, a lot of people's on their little cards as they come in, people fill out, how did you hear about our church? <laughs> Man, it wouldn't hurt my feelings to say, see names of the church of that already attend here. That's how. That, that, that's how right there. So ask yourself a question this morning. Ask ourselves a question. Man, I'm, I'm not even, I've totally, I'm not tangented. I'm still on point with what's being said here today, but those notes don't really mean much of anything to me right now this morning. Ask yourself the question today. How can that aspect of being chosen, ordained to go, how can I go in my world? How can I go in my world? How can I do that in my spectrum of, uh, of society? How can I go? How can I share? How can I be the extension of God to somebody in Mount Carmel? How can I be the extension of God to somebody where I live? How can I do that? How can I do that? Well, the Bible is replete. I mean, it, there's so many ways that it was even done in the Scripture. But let me say, you know, just kindness goes a long distance. Taking time to get to know somebody. Getting time to get to know somebody goes a long way. Let me say this, whenever it comes to the stage of a home Bible study, you teaching it rather than asking me to teach it for you goes a long way. Giving goes a long way. You know what, you know, teaching home Bible studies or kind or going to prison or whatever it may be, you know what I've learned Concerning going, the perspective, if you will, of the lost. This is very simple, folks. This is not anything deep or profound. But no one is too far. 
No one is too far. Our endeavors are cut back short sometimes because I think we put labels on the foreheads of some. Nope, not that one. It's probably not too possible. We put impossibilities in God's equation when he don't have any impossibilities. No, not them. Because I know them. Like we know them better than God does. Yeah, but you don't know. You don't know. I don't have to know. It's like people sometimes almost, others around us, like you're wasting your time. They don't say that so much, but it's like, well, we know. And they've been, and others have tried. And everyone has a story. You hear me? Everybody has a story. We just got to do like, like Peter did. We got to do like Philip did, meeting the eunuch on the way out there in the desert. We just need to start where people are at. Just got to start where people are at. Here's the thing. Let's go a little further here. And if I probably just messed this whole thing up. So we are all commanded to go. Matthew 28, go ye therefore. Speaking to his disciples. Mark 16, go ye into all the world. Preach. Brother McGee, I'm not a preacher. All right, let's get real simple. Go ye into all the world and share the gospel. You don't like the word preach? Because you think then that class, that, that exempts you? Share the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. How we all need to do that. We all need to receive that. We all need that worked out in our life to make heaven our home. You've been given the power of the Holy Ghost. They could lay hands on the sick and they would recover. They could lay hands on those with unclean spirits and they would depart. He said, if you had enough faith, you'd be able to say in the mount, be thou removed and cast into the sea. And we're all about all of that. But entailed in that was a power to witness. Amen. Someone say amen. Amen. Witnesses unto him. Unto Jerusalem, the Bible says. Right? Let's look at it. Let me get the verse of scripture up here. No, 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 no. Not there. Here we go. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem. And in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. All of Jerusalem. Let's get personal with this. Can we get personal with it? But ye shall receive, the, shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Mount Carmel. And in all Illinois. And in the United States. And unto the uttermost part of the earth. Even Lands beyond our own. Stand with me. I don't want to. I didn't get to a lot of stuff today, but I got to the stuff God wanted to get to. <laughs> Dwight L. Moody. Was a preacher and evangelist in the mid to late 1800s, born in 1837 in Northfield, Massachusetts. He was an integral part of the higher life movement in the United States and in Europe as well. He was not just the proverbial in that day, they considered him a fiery evangelist, but also a gifted teacher, prolific writer. His ministry in whatever form historically reached millions of people. It's been said that he could have been an industrial statesman like John D. Rockefeller, but instead he was drawn away from the business aspects of life out toward missionary work among the poor German and Scandinavian immigrants that were in the inner city of Boston, Massachusetts. Considered the difference a vision for the loss can make. Story is told, and I am not by no means elevating D.L. Moody. 
there is just a nugget of truth in here that I think can be applicable. Stories told that while speaking in London, D.L. Moody was approached by several British members of the clergy who wanted to know the secret to Moody's success bringing others to Christ. Moody invited them to look out the window and ask them one at a time a simple question. What do you see? Each man looked down on those that were passing by on the sidewalk below. They were describing the busy cars on the street, seeing the children at play in the park across the street, trying to be especially observant. They each noted these things. I see people. I see carriages. I I see street vendors. Moody prompted them to look again. He asked them again, what do you see? Second time, they seem to get a little bit closer to the window. They're peering. They're concentrating very hard as they are looking. They want to give the correct answer from Moody. They say, well, we see see men. We see women. uh, We see children. We see workers. We see shoppers. we, We see shop owners. Exasperated, Moody asked them one last time, what do you see? And they're thinking, man, what does he want me to see? And finally, when the clergyman inquired, what do you want us to see? Moody stepped to the window. He silently looked out the scene below him. Tears filled his eyes. He says, I see countless thousands of souls that will one day spend eternity in hell if they do not find the Savior. (laughs) What do you see? Well, they're supposed to help me check out through the line. What do you see? What do you see? They can't even give me the correct change back whenever I went in and grabbed something to drink from the gas station. What do you see? They always help me at the bank. I've known them for... 10 years yeah they know who I am oh that's the good one isn't it they know who I am and what I am that's the good one isn't it because that that causes us then to be able to get out from underneath the responsibility of saying anything right when they know who you are and what you are you, you don't have no responsibility in that because they know who you are they know they go to first apostolic church no you are not off the hook sir You're not off the hook, ma'am, just because they know who you are and where you go to church. No. (laughs) What do you see? Because the God-given vision is this. He sees the very thing that he's seen whenever he was strung on the cross. He sees a humanity that needed an answer. And he could be the only answer that humanity could ever have was in you read in John 8. Brother Mason, you come to the keyboard because you help me out if you will. We look, you can look at John chapter number 8. And I'll turn there just real quickly. God help me. I feel the Holy Ghost here. Huh. John chapter number 8. If I'm going to read this right. Nine, and as Jesus passed by, you hear me? He saw a man which was blind from his birth. It's falling apart, and that's a good Bible. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Will you please know, I've preached a whole sermon on this here at this church. Please note that verse number one. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man. And almost recorded like a side note, Brother Zach was, which was blind from his birth. God saw the man. And as a side note, he's seen his problem. But the disciples saw the man's problem. Before they saw the man. Well, she's a homosexual. Well, they're not very frugal with their money. 
Well, they've struggled in their marriage. What are we doing? We're seeing their problems. We're seeing their problems. I have dared to say that if Jesus would pass by the same way, said there's a woman which just happens to be a lesbian. There's a couple. There's a good man and woman right there that's just having some struggles in their marriage. What are you saying this morning? But yeah, I'm saying this. We need to get the God vision and see the man, see the woman, see the child, see the person before we ever take in consideration whatever the dilemma, the problem, the nuance may be in their life. Note even what the disciples said. Lord, who did sin, this man or his parents? Look at this. Getting down to the bottom of it all. Man, they got all this. Man, I can't. How in the world do you even get here? I mean, how in the world do they even live their life like that? Blah, 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 blah. You know what God said? He said the man wasn't him or, or his parents, but that the glory of the Lord. So you know what he was saying? He's saying it doesn't matter. You don't have to do anything to be a sinner. You're born one. You're saying, how in the world could they get wrapped up in this mess? I tell you how. Because whenever they were born, genetically, as humanity, we're destined for a mess if we don't have the interruption of Calvary. These altars are open today. This month is going to be the power to be a witness. Somebody needs to ask God for a vision for a lost soul this morning. And I'm challenging you today. It's okay to let that be your family, but I'm challenging you you today to go beyond just the innermost circle of your own family and just get contact of a lost soul that could be in your everyday or every week life. You need to get a vision of that soul. And let's let's get just real, real here for a moment. I know it, it, it is perhaps... Maybe this line of connection I'm about ready to make may be totally valid, but we need to make this connection sometimes to feel the gravity of the burden of it. We need to think this sometimes. If I don't go, so-and-so is going to be lost. If I don't go, They're going to lift their voice up in hell someday. If I don't go, they will be in torment where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. If I don't go. (laughs) Sir, man, these altars are open today. (laughs) I feel the convicting spirit of the Holy Ghost here. There would be no better thing than to respond what you're feeling. This is, this is not about trying to make anybody feel bad. This is about us trying to get our back underneath the burden of the vision of God. Seek and save that which was lost. I've been discipled. I've been in the church for 20 years. I've heard these stories. I've been taught. I've been there for 20 years. For 20 years. I know sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so. I've seen their kids come. I've seen then their kids have kids. I've been around for. Yeah, that's true. There's somebody out there today. There's somebody out there. There's somebody that you constantly rub shoulders with. There's somebody that you constantly meet. You give a smile. You even give small talk. And they know who you are and where you go. But they're just waiting for someone to say hey why don't you just come to church with me sometime we would love to have you or why don't you come to this event or or hey if you ever had time we'd love we'd love just to sit down and talk about the bible or, or just be an ear to listen and not a mouth to propagate Oh, yes, 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 yes. Come on, sir, ma'am. 
You might need to pick you up a venture. It might take you 10 years, but you need to pick up a venture. You need to pick up a grace project. You need to pick up a project for the lost. You need to pick a project up. You need to take that name to prayer. You need to be diligent. You need to be purposeful. You need to be intentional. Let's talk to the Lord right now. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.